Let's face it, living takes guts and living a full life takes a lot of guts. Igniting Courage podcast is the place you can come to get a blast of courage from real people who are clawing their way through life just like you are. We're gonna talk about big courage and also little daily courage. You'll hear people's opinions on how to build courage and how to summon it when you would rather join the circus and never be heard from again. So welcome. I'm glad you had the guts to show up for this conversation. Hi, and thank you for joining me for Igniting Courage podcast, episode 84. In this episode, I talked to Steve Gilliland, fellow speaker, author, and just an all-around great guy and a funny guy with some amazing perspective on courage. Steve is a Hall of Fame speaker, one of the most award-winning speakers in North America. He's in demand and one of the top-rated speakers and has spoken in 50 states and 15 countries. He's an amazing storyteller, a great comedian, and has some really important perspectives on the courage it takes to have a good attitude, be a positive leader, create a positive culture in your organization, and to deal with all of the curveballs that the world is throwing at us right now. So enjoy this episode with Steve Gilliland. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Steve Gilliland. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, I read one of your books, Hide Your Goat, uh, about attitude and, and interacting with other people. And I thought, wow, you know, you must have some great perspectives on courage based on your experience as a motivational speaker and, uh, and all of that. So I was excited to get you on the show. But my first question for you is just what does courage mean to you? I think for me, it's uh, about defining your personal values and beliefs and then living your life by them. I will always remember my stepson who had posed a question to his mother and said, and he calls me Poppy, and he said one day to his mom when I wasn't around, says, does Poppy believe everything he writes in his books? And my wife thought it was kind of an odd question, but the, you know, the reference piece to that was, you know, you can write something, say something, and say you believe it, but until you act that, way consistently and that's where the courage comes in is you know the first step to being courageous is to define your personal values and your beliefs and then live your life by them well i think that's such an important thing right now as as all the racial tension is happening in this country right now everybody's saying a lot of stuff but it takes courage to take action on that oh absolutely and you know i was asked just recently you know they said where's all this coming from and I said, well, it's always been there. And, you know, when you talked about hide your goat, when I wrote that book, that was one of the first things I wanted to define was, you know, where does the negativity begin? And I think that people forget, you know, we're all human and some of us have different issues caused by different things. And for example, I mean, if you think of abandonment, feeling unwanted, and if you go back in a person's life and you know, they have no limits placed on them. So they, you know, grow up having an inability to say no. If you think of discipline, you know, either control or out of control. Um, I know myself, you know, my mom, love her to death, but very, very, very strict controlling person. So you grow up with that particular personality, behavior, and habit. So I think, you know, the world we're living in today, I think, you know, we need to understand where it all begins because when people say to me, why is there so much negativity? You have to look backwards, inside, outside, and understand. 
Well, and that takes courage too, because sometimes that's really uncomfortable. Oh my goodness gracious. You know, it's funny because when you said hide your goat, that was one of the first things when I wrote the book, I said, you know, the first chapter has to be discover your goat. You know, you've got to figure out what it is that is a part of you because until you have the courage to recognize who you are Mm. and the willingness to develop the areas of your life that need changed, someone or something will always get your goat. Yeah. And right now, more than ever, as we all have different expectations of the social contract that we're trying to live out in public, back in public. Um, so yeah, that, that courage to have that self-awareness. And you said you just wrote another book that has a big component of courage, the cherry on top. Yeah, I wanted, I would, I've been working on the book for a couple of years and I was always, um, let's just say, interested in what adds value. And I started to make a list of the things that I believed added value. And by the time I was finished, I had about 181 and thought, my goodness gracious, I'm going to end up writing a book the size of War and Peace. (laughs) And then I thought, well, I'll narrow it down and I'll break it down into, you know, 52 weeks in a year. So I came up with that magic number 52. And then I sent a lot of people the 181 and said, pick the 52, you know, pick them for me. And it was kind of interesting, Ann, because there were about 28 of them that were just every single person selected them. Courage was actually one of the unanimous choices. So when you think about what adds value, every person thought that courage added so much value. And when I started writing that chapter in the book, I started it out by simply saying, you never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. Mm, right. And you know, it, it, it just requires so much wisdom. And I think it's the difference is how you deal with your fear, you know, and we all face it differently. And then somebody said, well, you know, to be courageous, you know, you have to be afraid of something. And I agree with that. Um, but it's, it's all the stories you hear about courage Um, even back as far as the Wizard of Oz, I still remember that, um, from the Cowardly Lion. So it was like, he received that. Yeah, it would be great if it could just be given to us like that, isn't it? Couldn't it? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Great. Yeah. Just, yeah. Pay no attention to the guy behind the screen. Just courage and move on. Just give me the necklace. Let's move this thing along. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and I, and I watched one of your videos on your website around that you posted, right? I think probably mid or late March when the COVID pandemic hit and we were all and are still all in a state of fear and needing to, and you said, we never know how much courage we have until we're forced to use it. And we're kind of, a lot of us are there right now. Um, How do you recommend people manage that fear? Well, I think right now the best way to manage the fear, and, and you know, this is one of those, it, it raises an eyebrow. Um, I was actually doing a virtual presentation to a client recently, and I said, the very first thing, if you're going to emerge from this strong-minded, look at what you're grateful for. So when you face this fear, stop, reboot, reconnect, and then ask yourself, what is it that has made you better? What is it that has made you smarter? And it's amazing when you ask the question and you really have people think about it. I had a woman say to me, she said, you know, something that I've really appreciated. I I now, I can't walk five feet to get the answer or have a discussion with somebody at work. I have to drill down deeper myself. I have to take the responsibility to get the answer. 
you know, and I said, well, that's a, that, that's a beautiful thing. And she said, you're right. She said, I'm teaching myself things every day. And I think it's perspective. And I think, Anne, that's, just, that's the thing that I've always said to people is the glass is half full or half empty, depending on whether you're pouring or drinking. So I think the first thing to do to overcome your fear and have that courage is just stop yourself and say, you know, wait a minute, you know, I need to be grateful for this because the gratitude is going to make us smarter. Once we emerge from this, we can be strong-minded if we're willing to say, hey, this taught me some things. Mm. And I think that's such an important thing, perspective. I mean, I was teaching a seminar this morning on in emotional intelligence, and we got into erroneous thinking. And one of those is this catastrophizing things that we do, especially today with social media. You get the same message, same message, pumping you full of fear. And like you said, stopping to think about what you're grateful for helps you to see there's good stuff going on too. I love it. Well, and I think with that is, you know, just the confidence and you know, mm. my family, you know, we do a Zoom call every Sunday with my two sons, two stepsons, daughter-in-laws, grandchildren. We all get on it. And my one daughter-in-law, after the call um, a couple of weeks ago, said something to me that I thought was pretty interesting. She said, you know, I know you're Mr. Positive and I know you're a motivational speaker and you write all these, you know, positive books. But she said, I just want to thank you as my father-in-law. I want to thank you as my husband's dad that you're so confident. And yet I looked, I mean, I literally wanted to get back on a zoom and look her in the eyes and say, I'm confident because I know as a father, I know as a husband, I know as a brother that confidence breeds confidence. So we go back to the courage to face the fears. You just have to understand that confidence is contagious. And I think that's the thing that when we emerge from this, those people that have been confident through it, and I tend to tune out the noise. I'm a person, and that just, I, I don't watch a lot of news. I'm very, very careful what I take in because I just believe that your intake produces your outlook. Mm -hmm. So I'm real careful as to what I'm going to watch or listen to and, and because it's that confidence piece. I don't want to be discouraged, and I don't want to be a discouragement to anyone else. So that would be a great way to build, as you, as you talk about attitude and controlling your attitude, one way to do that and build the courage to have that positive attitude is to control the input, huh? Well, it really is because, you know, the late Zig Ziglar used to say, when garbage goes in, garbage goes out. Mm -hmm. So you must be very careful what you're going to put in. And, you know, and I warn people, you know, and it, and it comes down to, you know, when you hurt, here again, let me allude back to hiding your goat you know, after you discover your goat, you got to herd your goat. And part of that process is, is what we just were talking about as to what you put in. Because I've always been a believer and I've always been a messenger of that people and information will produce your thoughts and those thoughts will produce actions. Actions then will produce habits. Habits will produce your character and your character produces your life path. So if you go backwards and you start to realize you know, where you're at and the character that you have or don't have based on the habits, good and bad, are all a result of actions which were created by thoughts. But you really go back to the source, it's people and information. So when I just said, I don't watch a lot of news, I'm careful with, you know, what I listen to. And I surround myself, you know, my mom used to say, surround yourself with a character of people that resembles who you want to be. And that's where, you know, you just have to herd that you know, and I'm using the metaphor here, you just heard your goats by 
you know, making sure that you surround yourself with good people, good information that will keep you confident. And that's tough too sometimes, especially if you find yourself in a herd of goats that aren't thinking positive and putting that positive stuff out there. So some of that is the courage to say, I need to step back from this herd and find myself a new herd. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You know what? One of the things that I have said over and over again to people is some days you need to consider breaking up with your friends because some days those friends, when you step back, just as you said, you look and say, wait a minute, you know, what am I getting from this? I recently had it happen um, last Saturday. Uh, my foundation hosts a golf tournament. And at that tournament, I drove up, you know, cause I just kind of go around in the cart. I drove up on a, on a foursome and, and I know this guy real well, like him a lot, but all of a sudden, you know, he went off on this tangent and I simply said, and I said, Hey, with all due respect, I said, I got to catch up with another group. It was like, I, I, I couldn't even deal with it. Mm. It was like, I had to just, now here's the problem with that. People listening to this say, Oh, that's nice. I'm not in a golf cart and I can't drive off. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm at work. So, yeah. So I get that, but it really is hard because sometimes you just surround yourself with people and you have those friends that are just, I, I hate to use the word toxic, but I don't know another word. They're very toxic. And it's, and it's, I always have to remind myself that it's not malicious and yet I still don't need to be taking that in. No. Yeah. No, and it's a polite, and I've done that very politely sometimes say, Hey, can we just change the subject here? I mean, I don't know if this is, is going to do any of us any good because I, I just find myself sometimes, you know, whatever the quote unquote current event of the day is, that's the topic. And then before you know it, one person looks at it, as we just said, perspective, you know, half full, half empty, depending on whether you're pouring or drinking. And then you get a perspective and you got to be very careful. Um, I had it happen with my stepson with friends down that a comment was made. And later I said, you know, are you okay? And he said, I just, I just was very offended and I didn't want to say anything. That's how volatile this is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and everybody's anxious. Everybody's scared. Everybody's unsure, which brings all of the stuff right to the surface. Um, So do you have any other thoughts on how people can build this? I mean, one of the quotes that you said in your COVID post was, it isn't what it is, it's what we make it. And that requires a lot of courage to not just accept, but to create a better situation for ourselves emotionally and like surrounding wise. Any other thoughts on how to build that courage? Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is the number one thing today with people, I believe. They're just so willing to say it is what it is. And I'm going to use the word individual. As individuals, the only way you're going to climb the mountain and have the courage to climb it as an individual is to begin to say, it is what I make it. Mm -hmm. And I think if people can change their mindset and their approach to that, you know, it, it would it would go back to, if we use the metaphor within hide your goat, the best way to hide your goat is to exercise your goat. And to exercise your goat, you have to make that become of your daily routine, your daily mindset. So for me, when I hear it, I'll look at somebody and go, well, you know, it really is kind of what we make it. And I think that mindset really can change and shape and mold and fashion people to begin to think differently and act differently. I've always believed this, Ann. If in some way I can influence the way you think, or as John Maxwell, now he has said, if I can change the way you think, I'll change your life forever. 
And I think if we can do that as speakers, authors, um, trainers, then we have a chance to have them walk away and say, listen, you know, I am going to take charge of this. Another thing I tell people, what we're going through right now, this pandemic, it's either going to make you bitter or better, stronger or weaker. That's a choice you have, you know, and, and I've always believed that you can come out on the other side. I've had some things happen in my personal life and my professional life that I believe had they not happened, I wouldn't be as strong as I am today and I wouldn't be where I'm at today. So, you know, again, I don't embrace these problems and go, oh, good, this is going to teach me something. Yay, I'm going to be better. <laughs> Yay, I'm going to grow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This is going to be. No, I don't do that. And I tell people that. But I said, what I do do is realize that everything happens for sometimes a reason that you will not have it revealed to you until later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would you say to the person? Because I, I feel like some people in this pandemic have had it much, much harder than others, um, where they've lost their jobs and they've got their kids home so they can't work. And they've got so many external factors that responding to it is what I make it is you know, there's, I've heard defensive responses to that sometimes. So what would you say to that? Like, how does somebody who is getting whacked at all corners by this thing supposed to make something good of it? The first thing you need to do is eliminate the what ifs. So, you know, when we said, you know, people say it is what it is. And then I say it is what you make it. But I think there's a lot of people that when this happens, they, they immediately jump to the what ifs. Mm -hmm. what, what if, what if, what if? And what I need them to do, and, and, and it's hard to do it, just like you said, there are people that are unemployed, there are people that are facing it, you know, harder than others, um, even in our own industry. But I think it starts with, instead of saying what if, again, just looking at the situation where you're at, you know, mm -hmm. look at the moment, you know, and, and don't dwell on the what ifs because the what ifs makes the fear grow. Well, and the what ifs are usually that catastrophizing thing. Takes us to the farthest reaches of, you know, how terrible it can be. Um, so, yeah, I see what you're saying. So be in the now. Where am I now? What can I do now? Well, and, and look for good feedback. I think that's the thing that I have done is I have reached out to so many people in so many walks of life and, and said to them, here's my situation. You know, if you were me, um, give me some advice. What I'm willing to do is be vulnerable. And I think that's another thing. Be vulnerable, be transparent. Um, you know, I've had friends that, you know, I don't know if they think I got this big money tree in the backyard, but I don't think they thought it affected me. And, and yet I, I said to them, listen, th this is one of the most challenging times I've ever had in 21 years as an author and a speaker. March 12th, Cleveland, Ohio Convention mm -hmm. Center. That was my last speaking engagement. But I refuse to not reach out and say, uh, what would you do? What are you doing? And, and I think that's the thing is I'm continually trying to gain a little bit of an advantage. I love how my son said, he, my, my son works for me, my oldest. And he said, you know, dad, we just got to keep grinding it out. You just got to keep grinding every day. It's every dollar. It's, it's, it's amazing too when I made several phone calls and was so, you know, it, it, it's humbling. And, and when you say to this person, can you help me in any way? Can, what can you do for me on this? 
And it was amazing how people, you know, the, the law of reciprocity, they said, listen, hey, we can only imagine, um, how about if we join hands? And, and I use the term shoulder to shoulder. I've gone shoulder to shoulder with a lot of people during this. And I think that's the other thing is you have to have the courage to do that. And it takes courage. Trust me, I don't la- like asking for anything. Well, and that comes up over and over. You'll be episode number 83 of Igniting Courage podcast. And between the firefighters and parents who took their kids to Africa for a, um, for a uh, humanitarian trip and somebody getting out of prison, it comes up over and over. You don't have to do it alone. And you're right, it does take vulnerability to reach out and say, help, but such an important piece. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit because not only are you a speaker and an author, a Hall of Fame speaker, by the way, but you are also a comedian. And that, if there's anything on earth that terrifies me, it's getting up on stage and having to be funny. Oh, you're a clownfish? Be funny. Say something funny. Tell me a joke. Talk to me about the courage it takes to be a comedian. Well, Yeah, that takes a lot of courage for this reason, that the minute you say something, if you hear crickets, (laughs) your brain, first thing your brain better be telling you is note to self, never say that again. Uh, Not in this situation. But I think, you know, early on in life, um, you know, we we just sent out a uh, promotional thing uh, today. And, you know, the Mayo Clinic is a great example of this because they say laughter is very, very good, you know, and I put in there, laughter is good. That's no joke. And I quoted the Mayo Clinic because it's, it's so good. Now, for me, I get a lot of energy and a lot of enjoyment and a lot of satisfaction when I see a person smile and I make them laugh. Here's something that will um, strike you maybe as odd. When I'm on stage speaking, If I'm not hearing laughter, now I'm talking about speaking, I'm talking about inspiring, encouraging, motivating, you know, stirring emotion. But if I don't hear laughter, it it sometimes is deafening just because I'm so used to it. And there's those moments where I'm like, you, you see this person fixated on you and you're not smiling. So it's almost like for me, the opposite of if I'm not hearing laughing, um, it's not a good thing. But I work hard at it too. Uh, I write a lot. And when I say I write a lot, I'm, I will observe something and say, how can I twist this into something that is even funnier than what just happened? Um, and, and I think it became, you know, I started as a class clown. You know, I was voted class clown in high school. And then throughout my career, I've always been a person that when I get around people, I just like to make people smile. I like to make them laugh. And it's not joke telling either. I'm more of a storyteller. So that's another thing is people think to be funny, you tell jokes. And I said, well, I think there's a way of telling a story that makes it even more funny than a joke. Well, and I love the way that you talk about dissecting it, looking at situations, really studying them. Because another thing that's come up over and over is that competence builds confidence. So to get up and tell these stories in a very funny way, and you are an expert storyteller, building these characters, building these moments, building these little pieces in that just make it just a little bit more fun or a little bit more funny takes study and it takes experience. Um, And I think one of the courages or the things that require courage when you're starting out as a speaker, I'm five years in, which is well far behind you. Um, But it's like, don't compare yourself to where somebody else is 15 years down the road. It's you got to build that up. Do you you think that's happened? Have you improved and improved as you've worked on it? Oh, Or do you just start out darn funny? Uh, no, absolutely. Well, I believe that I was always humorous, but I believe that 
it's almost a softer, and I'm not even sure how to say this, but I was a little bit more bold and aggressive with my humor. And now it's a, it's a lot more soft and timed. And I'm not even sure if that's even making any sense to you or anybody listening to this podcast, but it's, it's when I say something, I don't have to be as aggressive in the way I say it to get to the punchline and like, bam, it's mm-hmm. the subtlety of how I'm saying it. It's the pause in when I say it. And, and I think that's the key is somebody will say to me, they go, man, it was like, it was so brilliant the way you just paused. The other thing is I've had clients that hired me 15 years ago that brought me back a couple of years ago and said, wow, the evolution of your message, but the evolution of how you've used humor to really reinforce what you said. I think that's the key. The other thing is I play to the audience. I find a little bit about where I'm at, you know, and, and I'll give you an example. I'm from Pitts. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, you know, the, the immediately you go for, you're in Dallas, Texas. The immediate thing you're going to do is you tell them I'm from the home of the six time world champion Pittsburgh Steelers. And there's only one team that I really don't like. All you have to say is there's only one team I really don't like. You don't have to say the Dallas Cowboys. They're already laughing, smiling, and giving you these, these jeers. And then I'll look at them and say, oh, I'm just kidding. I said, I actually like the Cowboys, I said. And I'm going to tell you why. You guys are harmless. Oh, but see, that's the thing is, you take something as simple as you're a Steeler fan and you're in Dallas and you say, now, how can I, what can I do to make this funny? And before you know it, it's funny. I did a video for our community foundation now, I have my own foundation, so the community foundation asked me, would you do a, a virtual a video for you know, their big event because it was canceled? And I said, absolutely. Well, the woman called me back, and Ann, she, she said, that was hysterical. What I did was I, I did a news broadcast. So I did a news broadcast, and there's a gentleman here, great guy, great broadcaster, super person. His name is Neil McNeil. And I, it always bothered me, like, did Mr. and Mrs. McNeil, like, really think this thing through? <laughs> so I came on in the video, and, and I might, I actually, I'll, I'll have a man to send this to you um, afterwards. Nice. Um, but I, I'm, on the video, I'm Steve McSteve. Now, <laughs> we, have a, we have a set, but I, I inserted things in there, like, you know, you know, a lot of corporate America has really jumped on board. I did a local flair, but I, like, I said, for example, State Farm. I mean, how about their new ad? Like a good neighbor, stay over there. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and the, you know, the three W's, wait in line at the liquor store, um, wear sweat. You know, I went through all of these things, but I had a blast doing it. But again, I was, my wife asked me, she said, where do you come up with this? I said, but think about it. I said, think about it. The other night I'm watching TV, Toyota commercial comes on. And here's what it says. You know, during these unexpected and difficult and challenging times, we're here, buy a Toyota. Before these pandemic hit, you know what their ad was? Buy a Toyota. They've added during these unexpected. So I made humor from it and she goes, it it was just hilarious the way you delivered it. That's the thing. Life will give you opportunities to be funny, but you have to look at it from an angle that some people aren't. Look, Jerry Seinfeld, he's, I'm the... That's the guy. Mm-hmm. He takes nothing and makes it funny. I mean, he takes nothing and makes it funny. Yes. He can take one. I can guarantee you the writer sat around and said, hey, what do you want to do this week? Uh, I don't know. Let's, let's do something about a, you know, an aquarium that Kramer has. and it br- They do a whole 30 minutes on it. 
-hmm. But it's just that taking the little twists, little innuendos, and that's my personality. Well, and, and, and being willing and open and having the courage to look at things in a different way is, you know, you, we take it from comedy, but we go to where we are right now. And as you talk about feeding off of the audience, all I'm thinking about is now you're presenting in front of a uh, webcam. And how has that felt? And how have you had to sort of summon your courage to do what you do so well in a very different setting? Well, and see, when you do a virtual presentation, so I was doing one for a client, I was able to see, um, at any given time, I could probably see about nine or 10. Well, I, I, I saw this guy, and this guy had like a rose-colored shirt. And I could see his name. You know, his name was Michael. You know, and right away, my first thought was, at some point, I'm going to insert something about Michael. And I did. And I'm saying, hey, I really appreciate, you know, you guys are so attentive, with the exception of there's a guy wearing a rose-colored shirt. I think he might be playing. And, and I named a game, an online game. Well, you watch every person laughed. Every, every single person laughed. And even he laughed. The point is, you know, you take those opportunities in those settings to say to yourself, what can I do in even this virtual setting to make somebody laugh, you know? Or as I said, I go, I hate these virtual presentations. I mean, it's like, wow, they like add 25 pounds to you. <laughs> you know, they, they make your hair gray. You know, it's just, it, it's like you just say things that are, that some of them aren't belly laugh, but it puts a smile on their face, puts something warm and fuzzy in their heart. And you walk away and they'll say, you know, that was really good. I really appreciate the way you blended a little bit of humor. And then they'll say, it took a lot of courage. <laughs> to try to do what you did. I have a bobblehead, Ann. It's hilarious. The bobblehead, sometimes when they'll say, ladies and gentlemen, now Steve Gilliland, I will literally put the bobblehead in front of the camera. And <laughs> you can just see people laughing like, what is this? Again, <laughs> subtle, but it really, I think during this time, people really do want to laugh. People want to look at their situations. You know, um, I, I look at my daughters-in-law that were, you know, teachers and you know they're working moms and then they were en ended up being teachers and you know my daughter-in-law said to me after the first day she said I, I tell you this isn't going to work and I said why she said well I've already suspended Caleb yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. ask these kids in my homeschool classroom to be transferred <laughs> exactly yeah yeah well and it goes right back to the original point that you made about changing the input Having the courage to put down the negative input and find something funny. In Netflix, don't go to the shows about pandemics. <laughs> go to the comedy ones, you know, changing the input, finding that joy, finding that laughter to give yourself that release. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny you mentioned Netflix because the last, last movie I watched was Jersey Boys a couple days ago. Mm. I'd seen, you know, I saw the Broadway play, um, but I saw that there was a movie and wow. What an incredible movie. Because I thought, well, I've seen the Broadway play, but when, when it really dug down in the relationship between Frankie Valli and Bob Godino, it, you just walked away thinking, man, that was a great, great movie. And you're right. There's too many people that are just digging into the negativity. And it's like, man, you walk away from a really good movie and go, boy, that, was, that made my night. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. happy I watched that. Mm -hmm. And then you've got something else to talk about, too. Something oh, absolutely. New, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you realize there's more going on than just these things. Well, and speaking of courage, I mean, you watch a movie like that and you say the courage of 
And again, if somebody's never seen it, but if you watch Jersey Boys, the movie, the courage that Frankie Valli had to face what was going on within that group and then the death of his daughter, I mean, courage? I think he redefined what courage is in the midst of success. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's another piece that I'm sure we could go deep into, but we won't. But, but as things start going well, it takes courage to pivot and to say, okay, I need to not get comfortable, not start resting on my, on my laurels here. One more question, because I know you also speak on leadership and culture. And uh, as, I was, as I was teaching my emotional intelligence workshop this morning, we started talking about a culture of conflict resolution. And one of the people said, how can I change the culture? And so, I mean, that takes courage to sort of be the one who says, you know what, I'm going to make a difference here. How do individuals in organizations where they don't like the culture or want to make a big cultural shift, how do individuals do that? That is an incredible question, you know, because everybody deals with when we shift a culture, everybody talks about it as a, as a team, you know. Yeah, it's a big thing over there. You, got, you do that. Exactly. But I think, I think first of all, I'm going to use a line that I think if people could envision this, and that is see the end first. Show them the end first. Show them the, the reasonable consequences that are going to occur, the outcomes, and then all of a sudden, give them a realistic plan for changing. So many times as an individual, you look at it and go, well, that's not even realistic. That, that, that isn't even going to help me. You also, I think, you know, early on in my career, somebody one time said, they said, you know, a funny thing about incentives, they work. <laughs> give people an incentive to change because if there's no incentive to change, they don't know where you're headed and they don't know the ultimate outcome, then there's really no desire to change. Cause you can say, you know, well, you know, you need to be willing to at least, you know, try this or no, show me what's in it for me. And I think as an individual, when you look at that and you share that with people and say, listen, you know, Think about sports. Think about a coach that goes in to try to change the culture. Um, he doesn't try to change the culture by way of changing the team. It's, as you suggested, by going to the individuals. You go to the person who's been on the team for 11 years and who hasn't had a winning season, and, and you let them see what it would be like. You know, what about, you know, winning the Super Bowl? Let's start there. What's it going to take? And, and so in, in corporate America, uh, for-profit, not-for-profit, large, small, you must show them that here is, here is the end result. I want to show you this first. And if we get to here and we can achieve this and do this, then here's the reward. But it's going to take, you know, it's going to take some time. But here again, you got to support them along the way. you got to encourage them along the way. There has to be accountability. But again, I go back to incentive. There's got to be an incentive, but there's also got to be an opportunity to allow them to learn from their mistakes. Mm -hmm. This rigid stuff of coming in, you know, it's my way or the highway, it's not going to work. It, it's got to be, hey, and they got to see it from you. They've got to know that possibly they may be where they're at because of some of the decisions you made that really weren't that good. Mm -hmm. 
when I get called for emotional intelligence workshops or leadership workshops in organizations, I usually say, Is, are your executives going to be there? Or do I get to work with them as well? They're like, no, just fix the middle managers. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. Because <laughs> you, like you said, it has to come from the, the people asking for it. Well, and it's got to be genuine. And I think the thing that we miss so often is there has to be a genuine desire to be helpful and a genuine caring. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that that's what's missing today in some areas of, of companies. They don't feel the sincerity. They don't feel, you know, the transparency, or I should say they don't see it. But, but it's that feeling of, wow, you know, this person absolutely cares for me. And, and we're together in this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing. You know, every person needs to feel like, wow, they really care. Yeah. And they, and they see the value I bring to this project or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Steve, you're, I'm so glad that we had a chance to have this conversation. Do you have one piece of advice, especially right now, as I think emotional intelligence in our interactions with people out in public um, are going to be utmost importance. Do you have any, or one tip for people to build that empathy and that caring about others that maybe are different than us? I would say the best advice I would give anybody, anyone right now would be to decide what's important and never take it for granted. I think if one thing this has taught us during this time, the pandemic, it, it taught us that, as I said in my video, um, on COVID-19 that, you know, health is a luxury. But I also think that for me, one of the great things that has happened and I'm grateful for is that it has realigned my priorities to what I said were my priorities. And now I'm actually living those priorities. And I'm going to be transparent with your listeners. Here's a guy that just said to you, I've, uh, you know, a, a Sunday morning Zoom call. Why did it take a pandemic for that phone call? Why did it take a pandemic? And, and I'm, I'm a very emotional and sensitive person. So, you know, good thing your listeners can't see me because I know my eyes are watering up because it's like, wait a minute, I got eight beautiful grandchildren. I got an incredible family. And it, and it took this? Well, you know what? I'm grateful for that. But, you, you know, it goes back to what you would ask me. Decide what's important and never take it for granted. And now I look at things differently. I'm, I'm much more like, wow, you know, I really appreciate that. I see things in a way I didn't see them because not in my lifetime did I ever believe, Ann, we would live through this. I never thought I would see this. And yet now I look at it. I thank people for everything. I, I, seriously, if I go through a McDonald's, I get a cup of coffee. I actually thank them for being there. Thank you so much for being here. This means so much to me. I've had them look at me like, what? Mm-hmm. And I've had them look at me and say, thank you for, just, just, just thank you for saying that. It's like, I'm grateful, but it's the priorities, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I've heard that from so many people of suddenly saying, well, this made me stop and think, which I was, you know, we get so busy and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that we don't stop. And this kind of brought us all to a screeching halt against a wall. And, and uh, yeah, it's how, it's what we make it. Steve, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your time and your wisdom. I'll put uh, your website and all the links and everything. If you could send us the link to that news, uh, news, 
thing you did. I think that would make everybody laugh uh, as we need right now. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been a blast.